Thanks, Becca, and morning, King's Church, and morning to all our guests and visitors. Uh, welcome to, to church. Welcome to church in my home. Uh, welcome to my beard. I'm not sure about this. This is simply due to having lost a, uh, a razor. So when the razor returns, the beard will go. Anyway, this week, along with losing my razor, the other uh, event of note was a serious incident involving poo, uh, essentially. And the serious incident involving poo was because uh, toilets got blocked, drains got blocked, and the aforementioned item uh, and its accompanying uh, paper found itself spread all over our patio, said drains having been blocked. So what do you do? You call a plumber as the plumber was called, though our rather wonderful next door neighbour appeared uh, with some ideas as to how to sort it out. And the plumber arrived and they talked a bit more and we worked out what was going on. But of course there was still a fair amount of poo uh, on the aforementioned patio. And I was thinking, well, I need to get, I need to clear this up. But our neighbour, who was about to sort of go, said, "You know what? I've got a hose with me here. I've already got my wellies on. Um, why don't I clean it up for you? Have you got some bleach?" I said, "Well, yeah. If 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 you're offering, I've got loads to do. But I mean, are you sure?" Uh, he said, "Yeah. Let me get on with it. I'll have it done in ten minutes." Uh, and to his great credit and my slight amazement, he cleaned our patio of its, this rather filthy content. Why do I tell you that story other than to um, give a, a big hurrah to our wonderful neighbours? It's because of this. When someone kind of humbles themselves, and let's face it, cleaning up somebody else's poo is it's kind of a pretty humble thing to do. When somebody humbles themselves and rolls up their sleeves and serves you, it's, it's really quite a profound experience. When someone goes beyond being simply neighbourly, which is good enough, and really kind of extends service towards you, it, it really moves you. It kind of binds you together. It's, it's quite unifying as well as humbling and inspiring. And if you were with us last week, you'll have heard the Apostle Paul in this letter to the Philippians in the first century uh, exhorting and encouraging a local church just like us to be full of that kind of of unity, of that kind of serving of one another. And he carries that on into the passage that we're in this morning, which is chapter 2 and verse 3. And he says to them, do nothing from do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of of others. Have this mind among yourselves, he says. Have a mindset, Paul is saying, that kind of counts the, that the church family is being so precious that you'll do all that you can do to, uh, to love and to serve and to prefer each other over and above ourselves, to prefer other people's priorities over and above the priority of self, which as I experienced in a, in a neighbourly context rather than a church context it is really wonderful to receive the challenge of course is it's quite hard to do metaphorically speaking we don't like often rolling up our sleeves and for example cleaning up each other's mess or engaging in the messy aspect of each other's lives so how do we king church how do we get that kind of mindset where genuinely other people in the life of the church we count their interests as more significant than ourself. How do we do that? And Paul doesn't give us a 10-point plan, doesn't give us a, a load of blog articles that he recommends, he just gives us a poem or a song, a hymn probably, 
and commentators think that either Paul wrote this this early poem or him or somebody else did and he's quoting it but certainly the early church adopted it very very early as an absolutely central and beautiful confession of the Christian faith and uh, I won't sing it but it goes it goes like this verse 5 we're now in have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's beautiful. You songwriters out there, there is a song ready for you to, to put to music and to adapt. It's an incredible uh, confession of the Christian faith. Kind of, If you're brand new to Christianity, I uh, would love you to consider doing the Alpha Course if you want to look into these things more. Um, but pretty much in those in that short poem is pretty much the essence of the Christian faith. It does what a poem can do and captures the essence of something so beautifully. And of course, Paul says to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. How do we develop a mindset that prefers the other? Paul says, how do you do it? It's yours. You have it in Christ to meditate on. Meditate on, sing about, worship Jesus. Fill your mind with thoughts and truths about Jesus and you'll start to think like Jesus. Is Paul's basic message. We're already in possession of the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. We have it, as a Christian has that as a result of being unified with Jesus. We're already in possession of it. The opportunity is now to make it our experience reality. In other words, we start to use what we've been given. Now let's just break that down into a, a few little components. What does it mean to start thinking and having the mindset of Jesus? Well the first thing it means is that when you think like Jesus you begin to relinquish status. You begin to relinquish status. Verse 6, Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. See, Jesus' status, his position was like no other, and he was prepared to give it up, to relinquish it. Jesus had only ever known perfect harmony with Father, Son and Spirit forever. Total bliss. Jesus had only ever known the worship and adoration of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels. But Jesus had also known before the foundation of the world, that there would be a huge cost to the decision of the, of the Godhead, Father, Son and Spirit, to create us with the dignity of being able to choose or reject him. Jesus knew that came with a huge cost and he'd always known that the cost would be him leaving behind the wonder of heaven and becoming flesh, becoming human. Jesus had this incredible position, this poem says, this incredible status. And he didn't grasp it. He didn't seize hold of it. And, and commentators say he didn't 
exploit is the kind of key word behind it. He didn't exploit it for its own end. But let's face it, most of us, when we have position and privilege and power, we tend to use it for our own ends to serve ourselves. Jesus laid it down to serve us. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I've always loved and, and been challenged by the story of someone called C.T. Studd. Let me tell you a bit of, of C.T. Studd's story. He was born into immense wealth and privilege in England in the 19th century. Uh, his father had made a fortune uh, trading in India. He was educated at Eton College and Cambridge University, one of the finest, finest educational bastions of our, of our nation. And what's more... And if you know me, you'll see now why I've been gripped by his story. He was an outstanding sportsman, an outstanding cricketer. Uh, not just a, a great kind of club player. He was an outstanding international cricketer. He played for England. Uh, he won the Ashes uh, playing for England all before the age of 23. He was this amazing all-rounder, a uh, kind of Ben Stokes figure, if you know that name. Um, he, ha he had everything. By the time he was 23, this interna glittering international sporting career, this amazing education, wealth and fame and connections, all that you could want, you would think. But as all this had been unfolding, his education and his sporting career, something uh, interesting had happened. He had become a genuine Christian, a Christian in the truest sense of the world. He'd always, CTZ had always attended churches and chapels and been familiar with these things. But at some point, he had become genuinely gripped by the reality of the person of a relationship with Christ. And he became completely gripped by the grace and truth of Jesus and decided that he wanted to live with him. He put it very simply like this. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. That really was, uh, in some senses, the essence of the rest of his life. And for him, that meant retiring from this glittering international career at the age of 23 and going instead to far-flung China to tell people who didn't know about Jesus that Jesus really was God, that he really did love them and that he really did die for them. Now, not many of us have the status of a CT stud. Uh, my cricketing career in East Molesley second 11 doesn't quite match up to his, but we probably all have a sense of status, a position that if we're, we're honest, we'd be reluctant to give up the, the job that we have or the, the street that we live on, the school that our children go to, what we do in church life, the, the reputation that we've built up on social media. We've all got something. All those things are, are good things. And to have the mind of Christ is not to despise those things. To have the mind of Christ is to be prepared to relinquish those things for him and for his glory and for others. Are you? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Secondly, that involves not just being prepared to relinquish status, but embracing service. You see, Jesus didn't just leave the splendour and wonder of heaven and then try and kind of replicate it in some way with, with splendour and majesty and glory in an earthly sense. Verse 7. Instead, he, quotes, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men 
and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This doesn't mean that Jesus stopped being God or he became less like God. He embraced humanity, but he also remained divine. He didn't become a bit less like God. In fact, he showed us what it is to be God. He showed us what God is really like. Let me just recommend some great books for you. It's a bit of a bit of a little side moment. This is a, a book by um, Glenn Scrivener. He's written two. They're called Reading Between the Lines. If you want some great daily readings, short but meaty, that always bring you to Jesus, uh, there's a volume on the Old Testament, a volume on the New Testament. They're really, really helpful. I really encourage you to think about those, to be uh, in God's word each day and, uh, and being brought to Jesus very wonderfully each time. And Glenn Scrivener, when talking about this passage, uh, says this, that such service, the service that Jesus gives, is not a departure from the divine glory. It is the very self-expression of it. Jesus didn't become a bit less like God. God showed us in human form what he's really like. A God that embraces service. There's a um, there's a moment that's really moved me this week. It's uh, it's in the in the Gospels and when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane shortly before his death, shortly before he's arrested, and just before he's arrested, as he's being arrested, one of his disciples, one of his friends, Peter, uh, in typically headstrong fashion, kind of lashes out with a sword uh, and cuts the ear off the high priest's servant. And Jesus responds by saying, and this is Matthew 26, verse 52. Hey, put your sword back in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? That just got me thinking a bit, a bit this week. A Roman legion is 6,000, right? So that's 72,000 angels. You could fill... Old Trafford in almost Wembley Stadium with 72,000 angels. And these are not little cuddly cherubs on clouds somewhere. These are mighty, fearsome, supernatural beings that, that in the Bible, as well as speaking to people, they, they guard people. They, they, they shut the mouths of lions. They destroy armies. And Jesus, in a moment, could have called 72,000 of them. That's what he's left behind in heaven. And in a moment, he could bring heaven, in that sense, to earth. And everything that he's about to go through, he'd be saved from. He doesn't. He doesn't. To quote this wonderful poem, he does not count his equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he looks to the interests of, of you and I. He remains obedient to death, even death on a cross. In Luke's gospel, we're told that he even heals that young man. Such is Jesus' commitment to serving people. This is our God. He embraces service or people, whatever the cost. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. To quote C.T. Studd again, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What does that mind look like? It looks like relinquishing status or being prepared to do so embracing service, and thirdly, expecting exaltation. The second half of the hymn, 
or the poem goes like this. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' descent from heaven to the cross results in his victorious ascent from the empty tomb to heaven. He didn't grasp his status. He embraced service. As a result, he's exalted. He's given the name that is above every name. That actually is not referring to the name of Jesus. It's referring to the name Lord. In Greek, it's Kyrios. In, he, in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, it became translated as Adonai, and originally it was the word Yahweh. That's the name that is above every name. The name that God, the God of the Old Testament, gave to himself, Yahweh, I am who I am. And this name is now, as it were, bestowed or confirmed that it is Jesus's. He's exalted. And so we do now what we will do one day. We bow the knee before this incredible God who relinquished his status, embraced service, and is now exalted to a place of worship. A place where one day every knee will bow, and in the meantime Christians bow in expectation of that. And one of the ways that we worship is to humble ourselves and to embrace the service of each other in the name of Jesus for the glory of of God the Father, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And as we as we do that, we can also be confident that, that we too will be exalted. Anyone who is in Christ will be exalted as well. A Christian is someone who serves, not in the expectation, quite the opposite of earthly exaltation and glory and honour, but an expectation of a heavenly exaltation. Ephesians 2 tells us we haven't just been saved from something, we've been, we've been given, we've been rescued and saved to something. We've been raised up with him, Jesus, and seated with him in the heavenly places. We too have been exalted spiritually and will one day be, be fully exalted. Romans 8 tells us we're co-heirs with Jesus of the Father's inheritance, which is an inheritance we're told elsewhere that cannot fade or spoil or perish. And it includes one day ruling the new heavens and the new earth, a, a fully restored earth with Jesus. Church, if you're in Christ, you, you will one day be exalted and you will be a, like a viceroy, a royal agent, ruling the new heavens and the new earth under the ultimate kingship of Jesus, just as mankind was originally intended to do all the way back in Genesis 1 and 2. So, church, we can, we can train ourselves to think in line with the mind we've been given, the mind of Christ, to be prepared to relinquish our status, whatever it might be, to humble ourselves, to serve each other now, whatever the cost, knowing that Jesus paid the ultimate cost for us. And one day, one day, with him exalted to the highest place, we too will be exalted into heavenly places. So why don't we worship now in, in singing? Why don't we also, as the week goes on, in this unique time that we're in, why don't we also consider how would, what would it look like for us to, to think in line with the mind of Christ this week and put status and privilege and, and prioritizing the self to one side 
and be so empowered and moved uh, by the mind of Christ that we prefer the interests of others. So yes, let's worship in singing now. Let's stand, let's sing, let's clap, let's, let's pray. But let's also worship in action and deed and serve each other this week, given that we have the mind of the God that first served us.